Support for Ahead of the Curve is brought to you by Manscaped, the best men's body grooming champions of the world. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. The craftsmanship and details of the 4.0 are next level. Manscaped engineered the ultimate body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. This upgraded trimmer includes a multi-function on and off switch that can engage a travel lock and it also gives you the ability to turn on the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through the additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. Did I mention wireless charging? The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code CURVE20 at manscaped.com. Carrick, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, really excited to, to get to learn from you today. And uh, for our listeners, I, I know that COVID was a crazy year for all of us. 2020 was a crazy year. And you actually took a new job uh, during probably the middle of it. So I, I don't know if I've, if I've spoken with you since then. And so I'm really excited to get to hear more about that. So tell us a, a, about your new role with Major League Baseball. And, uh, you know, what are you doing? How are you making an impact there? And just tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, so I uh, took a job as the president of the MLB Draft League, uh, and that, uh, like you said, that took place uh, basically into November, beginning of December, um, and it was an opportunity that was presented to me uh, to – this was with the draft being moved back. There was a window that was created uh, where players needed an opportunity to go out and continue to play as they prepared for the draft. And so the idea of this league was birthed uh, and um, brought me in to be in charge and run the league. And as we got into it, uh, started talking about some more things and some visions and ideas that I had for the league. Uh, for me, um, you know, I think the initial idea for MLB in the league was to have this be an opportunity for players to come and be evaluated in uh, hopes of going into the draft and, and those types of things. And, and for me, that was a small part of it. And I think that it could, the league could be so much more um, and from all different kind of angles of development uh, from um, all things baseball, you know, creating opportunities for coaches to get into the league and have some experience coaching, obviously the players, umpires, interns. So there's a lot of things that I think this league can do uh, moving forward uh, and just excited to be a part of it in year one. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and that's, that's really, really cool to hear. So once, once guys, so just, just uh, for clarification for me, once guys get drafted and in the process of them being drafted and them signing, they come to you guys uh, just for what, like just get reps and to stay healthy and for them to get an eye with their MLB teams. Like what, what does that look like for the players? So actually what we're doing is on the front end, we're capturing the players on the front end before the draft. Um, and so um, this is an opportunity for them. Yeah. For them to come in. And if let's say that, um, you know, you're from school X and it's a smaller school and you haven't faced a lot of big competition and the idea of scouts like you, but they like you in the 10th through the 15th round. So our league presented an opportunity for some of those kids to come in and test themselves against some better arms with wood bats and for scouts to see them in that type of environment um, gotcha. prior to the draft. And then post-draft this year uh, was an opportunity for guys that didn't get drafted to come and have an opportunity to sign as free agents. Um, and so as we look to move forward, there's a lot of different areas that ways that we can go with the league what we do on the front end will be consistent though that'll be an opportunity for draft guys to come up be in that environment pro clubs to send their decision makers out and see all those guys in one one uh environment that's competitive and and it's developmental based as well uh, when you look at our coaching staffs 
Um, five of my managers in the league are former big leaguers. Um, when you look at the coaches, the pitching coaches, the hitting coaches, they've all had some level of pro- professional experience. Uh, and then we were also able to create a developmental coach position, which we want to use for minority coaches, for them to come in and be that fourth coach, if you will, and and learn um, and get exposure to a higher level of player that can hopefully put them in a position to go on and continue their coaching careers as well. Oh, that's wonderful. And I love uh, hearing you break that down for us. <laughs> Talking about uh, just the different roles that uh, people can have and, and the, the different ones that, that you guys are offering. You've served literally almost every role that I feel like you can serve in baseball. You've been a head college coach. You've been a pitching coach, a recruiting coordinator, a scout, an agent, at, and a head coach at, at several different lever, le- uh, sorry levels. And now you're doing this. So it's like, you are a, a jack of all trades, and I just like tell like walk us through that. Like, what, just because that's just a, a crazy amount of things that, that you you constantly have to be learning. But what have you learned in in your years of serving all of those different roles? I, I think that's the key, right? Is is that um, you know I was raised by my grandparents, uh, and my grandfather was a minister. My my grandmother was a, a shoe saleswoman uh, in a local department store, and the idea of education was always first and foremost. And so when you look at my professional uh, career, um, that's what it's been. It's been a, a journey of education and, and each spot has been able to put me in a position to learn something else. Um, it's funny because people ask all the time, you know, how did you go from this to this, to this, to this? And and I tell people all the time, I was always a person have always been a person that I believed in being where your feet are at. Um, and, and making wherever you are the best place that it can possibly be, regardless of the circumstances. And as a result, more opportunities will come your way. I think oftentimes we get into this idea of I have to be this. I have to be this. Here's my goal. And, and we do so many things to, quote unquote, strategically put us in a place to get these opportunities where we may miss out on the opportunity of making where we are the best. Um, and I think my career has been just that. It's been wherever my feet were is that was the best place at the time. And I was going to make that the best place that I could possibly make it at that time. And then as a result of that, I think people noticed what was taking place and more opportunities presented themselves as a result. I love hearing that. And, and I, I think, you know, for me, I'm sure that being able to do all of those opened up a ton of different doors. And then whenever you were the head coach, you were able to really break it down with everybody that was in the room just because you have served all of those all of those different roles. And number one, I think uh, I love the, that you mentioned that uh, just being well-rounded and being able to just be where your feet are and, and, and you know, serve your players, serve your coaches where, wherever you're at and whatever you're doing. But I also think that that helped you whenever you did transition to a head coach. Uh, or, or maybe maybe I'm just assuming that and, and I'm, I might be wrong, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on did, the, did, ha- serve, did uh, coaching in all of those roles help you as a head coach? No, no question. You know, uh, it's uh, when, I, when I got the job, head job at Southern, uh, one of the first things that I did probably two weeks in was was called and reached out in some form or fashion to every head coach that I had worked with or um, that I knew that I had relationships that had mentored me along the way and and explained to them, uh, you know, that I had a greater appreciation for what they did as head coaches now sitting in that seat, uh, because I think as an assistant coach, I was probably no different than anybody else, right? As an assistant coach, I was the best head coach in the country. Like I knew all the decisions, like, why are we doing this? And we should be doing it this way and this. And then when you sit in that seat, um, it, it, you realize all the things that are involved. And I think the experiences that I had leading up to that helped me be in a position to where I could still relate to my assistant coaches and what they were going through, um, as well as be able to give them some guidance on, Hey, here are some of the things that you need to think about. Um, The one thing that I was very adamant about and I will always be adamant about it is don't forget where you came from. Uh, And so I've, I've never been in a position where I get to a certain level and then start to carry myself in a manner different than what I was as an assistant coach at Coffeyville Community College. Uh, There may be some people out there that uh, would disagree, but, but I think I'm the same guy, right? I, I, 
I interact with people the same way. It didn't matter whether or not I was at Missouri in the Big 12 or the SEC. Um, I still carried myself the same manner as the person that I was raised to be. And that was someone who, you know, you, you help people when they need to be helped. You look for opportunities um, to, to help somebody get better. You look for opportunities of growth in yourself. Uh, and so as a head coach, I, I carried that with me. And now the difference being is just the final decision stopped with me. Uh, but whenever we would do things, I would constantly tell my assistant coaches, give me your input. What do you got? What do you think? Um, uh, this is what I'm thinking. You tell me what you're thinking. I really feel strongly about this. But you know what? I'm not as convicted in my thought process as you are in yours. Okay, let's go your way. Um, and and then there'd be times where um, I empowered my assistants. You make the decision. I'm not going to make it. You make it. And understand that whatever decision you make, we're going with it. And you better think about all the consequences because if something goes wrong, it's a decision you made. You got to understand what the impact of that is. Uh, and so, again, still being in that growth mindset, not only as a quote unquote head coach slash manager mentor, but also uh, for my assistant coaches and the guys that I had and players that we had in our program to help them with that as well. No, really good. And, and, you know, one thing I've, I've never been a head coach. And so as an assistant, you have all of these different ideas and you, you know, like, like you mentioned, we, we have all of the answers <laughs> as assistants and, and, you know, when we take a step back uh, probably in the role that you, that you have now, you, you think of things that, that you might do different, but I am curious. So, uh, you mentioned that you that you loved taking feedback from assistants, which I think as an assistant, that is that is huge for me as uh, as an assistant from the head coach or to the head coach whenever they're they're trying different things. But I do want to know. So let's say that I presented something to you as the head coach and it was it was really bad. Like it, it, it turned out to be awful. What does that conversation look like? Because if it's good, we keep it. That's all. It's all sunshine and rainbows. But on the other side of it, if it's not very good, it's it's not an easy conversation to be had, but it's probably one to be had if you're wanting to continue to grow as a program and be excellent every day. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. For sure. You know, I, I think that when and that happened to me as a head coach, a guy would have a drill that they'd want to do or a concept that they would want to put in. And so I would. I would attempt to walk them through the process of understanding. Tell me what the ultimate goal is with this drill. Tell me what the ultimate goal is with this recruiting philosophy. Um, and, and oftentimes their goal didn't match with their method. Uh, as we would start to drill down and go back through it and, okay, this is, you're saying you want to do this, but you're implementing this and this doesn't necessarily correlate to that. Um, and so being able to, instead of just, killing the idea and saying that's not going to work. It was more, here are the circumstances that we're in currently. Tell me how this fits and how does this benefit us? And as we would, again, backtrack back to the original idea, many times my assistants would say, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I do need to think about that. Or no, I didn't think about it that way. Or yeah, we probably need to put this in there instead of this. Um, and so I, I never wanted to come across where you just killed somebody's dreams and just said, you know, hey, that's stupid. What are you doing? No, it was, okay, I see where you're going with this, but make sure you understand what you're telling me you want to get accomplished doesn't get accomplished based on the things, how you want to go about it. Let's stay focused on the end goal. And then how do we get to that end goal? What is that process for us to get to that end goal? And again, being in recruiting philosophies, um, whatever the case may be. And that was specifically with the recruiting part of it. That was one of those things that I told coaches all the time. Is it, it's a gift and a curse. Um, it, the fact that I was a recruiting coordinator, every place that I was, is beneficial to you because I can help you in that process. But then also it's a curse in that I was that person. So it, that was a tough thing for me when I made that transition to head coach was that recruiting piece. Cause I love recruiting and I know I was successful at doing it a certain way and had to kind of pull myself back and say, okay, Hey, I'm giving the reins to this person to let them do their thing. Let me let them do it and then just throw in suggestions here and there. You know, and, and this is, this goes without saying too, I think that most assistants know <laughs> when, when it doesn't go good. And so just having an open conversation about it too, I think is really, really good. And, 
And uh, you, you talked about being a generalist uh, and, and in the term that I think is you, you know, a lot, you know, uh, a, a lot about a lot of different things rather than being, you know, the master craftsman on just one thing. And so I, uh, last year during COVID and this, this isn't related to you, but I thought that this may be good for our listeners uh, to hear. I was on some different calls with Fergus Connolly and Cody Royal, and they did some different zoom calls and, and they're, you know, two coaches in two different fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fergus wrote a, a book called Game Changer. And so I asked him the question because I feel like I'm a generalist. Like I, I have my hand in a lot of different things and I, I, I want to learn uh, just different aspects of baseball. Uh, and so I, I asked him the question about being a generalist versus really honing in on like one thing. And he said, generalists take longer to get to the top, but they stay there because they have a wide variety of skills and people who are really good at one thing rise quicker. But if that one thing ever changes, they can't adapt. And so whenever I was preparing these different notes uh, to talk with you, that's kind of how I feel with, with you and, and, and a lesser part myself, just because uh, you've gotten to serve so many different roles. And then I'm trying to, to learn about all of these different things, just because, again, uh, in, the, in the ever-changing world of, that we live in, and even in your role now, it, it wasn't even a role two or three years ago. And so right. I'd, I'd love to hear, uh, do you agree on, on, on something like that? Oh, definitely. Like I said, I, I think when you we talk about going to the, my roots and foundation is from my grandparents of education. Um, education is wide ranging. You know, it's not just academic in the school setting education. Right. Education is yeah, is a life concept. Um, and so if you put yourself in a position where you ever feel that you've arrived um, and that you've made it to the top, that is the beginning of the end. Um, and so that's one of the things that I've always held fast to is if I ever get to a position where I think I've got it all figured out, I need to retire from whatever it is that I'm doing and go do something else. Um, and, and so when you're dealing in this field of baseball and specifically coaching and, and different aspects of it, um, I, I think that that is obviously paramount is you have to continue to grow. You have to continue to add um tools to your toolbox uh because like you said things are constantly changing um you know we, we've seen the development of 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 what pitching used to be mm-hmm. just as little as five years ago to what it is now is completely different um sure. you know recruiting philosophies or you know what, what you're doing with infield play or what you're doing with hitters or you know all those things so if you're not learning and you're not the consummate learner, then you, you will eventually uh, cease to be able to exist at a high level because everybody else will pass you by. Mm-hmm. No, I love hearing that. And just on top of all of those things, talking about the changing landscape, I mean, with the NIL now, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, that's an, another thing that is just added to the plate that wasn't there even what, six months ago, which is another crazy thing that college coaches will have to uh, have to learn and deal with as well. Well, it, it, exactly. And when, and when you think about some of your coaches that have been doing this for 25 plus years, think about the changes in the game that they've seen and where they and, and, and you can't just factor in their coaching career sure. as a as a coach or, you know, specifically in baseball, you factor in their playing experience as well. So there's a wide range of changes that have taken place in some of these coaches careers, my, myself included, um, that now, and now we're at N, NIL and it's, you know, I think one of the things that is going to be, I was thinking about that the other day was how many coaches are going to have to have conversations with their players about, listen, practice time or team time is our time, right? If you want to do NIL stuff, you have to do that on your own time because there's going to kid going to be kids that are going to want to, Instagram practice or walking through the locker room or, you know, those kind of things. And so now, Hey, there's going to be rules in place. Can't have your phone on in the locker room during the club in the clubhouse, because I don't want you putting something on Instagram because it's going to give you the edge because company X, Y, Z says, Hey, if you give us a behind the scenes, look at what takes place on a game day, we'll pay you $15,000 a year. Well, of course that player is going to say, well, shoot. Yeah, I'll do that. But then now the coach has to be aware of that these things are happening and these are opportunities. So, yeah, I, I think this this thing is going to be very interesting to see how it is going to unfold and, and what it's going to look like moving forward. Oh, for sure. 
So one of the one of the other things that, that you're part of that I haven't mentioned yet, uh, and that's the diversity committee. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so that uh, came to to pass. I guess now it's um, in Dallas was the the convention where we had our first meeting, um, and we kind of put everything into place. Um, and basically, ABCA uh, wanted to start a diversity committee to obviously create more awareness uh, with with uh, minorities in the game of baseball and specifically in the organization. And, and so we started the, the diversity committee and, and we have two major initiatives and, and those are creating more opportunities uh, for minority coaches and being able to create more opportunities for our young black kids to play the game uh, at, at the lower levels. Uh, and so um, obviously just like everything else, COVID kind of, derailed uh, some of our progress a little bit and picking back up uh, on that. We've done some Zooms um, with uh, for professional development. We're looking at adding some more aspects to um, the professional development aspect uh, and then looking to be able to launch um, our initiatives when it comes to that youth development piece and and really focusing regionally uh, and getting into the grassroots programs and really starting to put uh, curriculum in place to develop these kids at a younger age to hopefully keep them in the game as they continue to move forward. Oh, that's wonderful. I actually saw on Twitter yesterday, I don't know if, if Jerry Manuel's program is a part of, of the, the wide net that you guys are casting but um, his was really interesting. I, I think ESPN did a special on it or something. And he mentioned that in MLB, uh, when he, whenever he was playing, or maybe in the 80s, uh, African-American players, it was almost 20%, and now it's like eight, which that, that was crazy to me. I didn't know that it had, had, had tailed off that much. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, you know, and it's one of those things where when we have this discussion – uh, there are a lot of different reasons people believe that, that things are the way that they are. And I think you can talk about scholarships. I think you can talk about um, travel ball and how expensive it is and all those kind of things. But for me, one, I think one of the things is from the professional side and from Major League Baseball side of things, there is such a rush to get these kids to the big leagues at 21, 22 years old. And back in that time frame that Jerry references, when it was 20%, there wasn't a rush. You got to the big leagues when you were ready to get to the big That's leagues. A good point. And, and the minor leagues was just that, right? It was rookie ball, A ball, high A, double A, triple A. And, and you made that progression as you were ready to make that progression. Well, now the idea of you having the time doesn't exist. We got to get you there now. We got to get you there to capital to capitalize off your prime years at a lower value. There's all these kind of things that factor in. So to me, that is one of the biggest things where we see a lack of, of black players, uh, black American players in the game today is because we don't want to give the time that is necessary to help them develop to get there. And then going back to some of the things we're talking about, we have to start younger with being able to develop those players. Um, and, you know, for me, in my experience, I played Legion baseball growing up and, you know, to play Legion baseball, I had to sell 60 candy bars. That was it. That was my uniform. That was my fee. That was everything. Um, and so, and then you went out and you played and it was, you played with kids from your neighborhood. Um, you played, you know, you played against the rival neighborhoods. And so there was a, there was a, a level of, competitive aspect to things that just drove you to get better for bragging rights purposes. Um, now in the, where we're at now, you're traveling, you have people traveling all over, which the one thing that I think that we've seen is uh, with, with COVID, you can stay local, you can stay regional and still mm -hmm. have, you know, still be visible. Um, yeah. And so I think the idea of being able to get back to some of those things, but again, more importantly, um, being able to, to get, on the professional side, let's let's not be in such a rush to get these guys to the big leagues. You know, sure. a big leaguer is a big leaguer. Whether you're there at 21 or 28, if you're a big leaguer, you're a big leaguer. Um, and so I think if if we can, you know, I've, I've had some conversations with, with guys and, you know, on the pro side with regards to, hey, what if you drafted the best athlete in the draft every year and you didn't put a clock on them? You just said, hey, you know what? 
we're going to draft this guy's the best athlete in the draft. We're going to take him and we're going to give him his time. Whatever that time looks like, it could be eight years, it could be three years, but whatever that time looks like, we're going to give him the time that he needs because the one thing that I believe to be true is given the right amount of time, a pure athlete can do anything that you ask them to do, but they just have to be given the time to be able to make the adjustments. Sure. No, Macy and I, so we, we've started um, watching some of the ESPN 30 for 30s. And uh, one of them is, is Doc and Daryl because she she didn't grow up in a baseball family like I did. And so getting to introduce her to just some of the different uh, different episodes. And so we watched like Dion's last week and then mm-hmm. we watched Doc and Daryl. And she was just she was just blown away uh, by some of these stories. And, and one of the ones that hit me was one. I don't I don't think Dion would would happen now, even though how awesome it was for him to play two games in. Uh, one, one day, day. like you're right, you're right. like that that blew me away and then the other one was daryl strawberry being drafted first overall from crenshaw high school in in la yes. like I, I don't i don't know that that would that that would happen now like it was just like i i got to think about it and i was like wow that would that would be unbelievable like if we put it in 2021 no no question well one of the guys so i, I i'm from st louis i'm a huge cardinals fan mm-hmm. and so one of the players that i i often reference when it comes to today's game is vince coleman and and i ask people i said would vince coleman play in today's mlb now you're talking about a guy that stole over 100 bases mm-hmm. consecutive years when was the last time somebody stole 100 bases mm-hmm. and so but he went to florida a&m you know, HBCU product. Um, w- would Vince Coleman play in today's MLB? Would Willie McGee play in today's MLB? Um, you know, there's a time with the Cardinals where in that early 80s, everybody on the field was black except for Tommy Hur and Daryl Porter. And so we know that we know that the kids are out here playing. It's a matter of giving them more access to a higher level of coaching. Um, and I think once you do that, then I think that, that now we'll start to see more players in the game. I mean, when you look at, if, if you take the Dominican players um, that come over, there's a, a every major league club has an, a Dominican Academy, right? So, and they're getting these kids at 15. So if they're getting these kids over there at 15, they're the same kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just happen to speak Spanish, right? So, if they're getting these kids over there at 15 and they're putting them in these academies where it's school and baseball, and that's all they're doing all day, every day. Well, it would behoove you to say, all right, well, if we did the same thing here, wouldn't we get this a similar result? Now, the difference being that over there in the Dominican academies, if you're at the Rangers or Yankees or Braves or whoever's Academy, that team has your rights here when you look at our urban youth academies that we have in place, well, it's, there's the draft in place and there's some other things. So that team doesn't have the rights. So we're not going to spend as much time and effort and money here as we are going to spend over there because we have priority to those players over there. We don't have priority to these players here. Gotcha. Well, let's, uh, let's switch subjects uh, a little bit because I want to talk about your head coaching experience and, and we're, you know, halfway through the, through the show and, and I love the conversation. But I, I, I want I, like culture seems like a huge uh, part of who you are. Like you love your culture, culture, culture builder. Wow. Sorry. And leader of men like that. Whenever we've had conversations, whenever I've seen you speak, that's like two things that, that I've noticed about you. That seems like something you're very passionate about. And uh, going from your 2018 team to your 2019 team, you went from worst to first. I mean, like let's let's just break that down because I would love to hear your thoughts on on how that happened, what that transition was like. Because 2018, you're probably questioning every single thing that you're doing. I know I would, maybe not yourself, but I know I would be questioning everything. And then 2019, you're like, okay, cool, it worked. But going through that 2018 season, let's just talk about that and then how that transitioned to 2019. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, you know, I, I think that. Um... In, in going through that process and accepting the job at Southern, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things there, right? Uh, I get the job there. They offer me a two-year contract. Um, and and it, the 
obviously the program had NCAA penalties with scholarship reduction. We, because of APR, we had practice and game restrictions. Um, we had uh, no postseason uh, play involved, and and the program hadn't their last successful year um, on paper would have been I think two thousand. 11 or 12. Um, so it was, it was basically about seven to eight year period prior to me coming that they hadn't been successful. Uh, and so for me, it was important that in my press conference that we put the goals out there right away, that everybody understood that we were going to be successful and, you know, well, when is this going to happen? It's going to happen when it's ready to happen, but it's going to happen. Um, and then being able to deliver that message to the team. Um, one of the first things that I told them was, listen, when I took the job, you became my guys. So it's not, you're not going to ever hear me go out and say, well, when we can go out and recruit, you know, our guys and this, that, no, you're, you are my guys right now. When I took this job, I took it with the understanding of who you were and you're my guys and we're playing with my guys right now. Um, that was the first thing. The second thing, we are not going to talk about winning this year because you guys don't know how to win. I said, we have seniors that have been here for four or five years and you've never had a winning record. So for you all of a sudden to think that because there's been a coaching change that all of a sudden now we're going to just go on this rampant toward pace of winning, it's not going to happen. We have to learn how to win and we have to get you in the right place and understanding of what that looks like before we can start winning. And the next thing that I asked him, I said, tell me what catch play means to you. And like, what are you talking about? I said, when you play catch, what is that process like? What are you getting out of that? And we play catch to get warmed up for practice. Wrong answer. I said, catch is the most important thing of this game. Being able to possess and control the baseball is the key to success. So for the first two weeks of practice, all we did was play catch every day. We didn't pick up a bat. We didn't hit any fungos. They had to understand how important possessing that baseball was and so that's where we started and then we just started to teach the game to those kids because they hadn't been taught the game and we started to talk about little things and how to carry themselves and no earrings in the clubhouse and I don't want to see you on campus with your hat on backwards and this is how you conduct yourself when you're in the classroom these are the things that are important uh, and so like you said that first year we were nine and 33 but we had an overall team GPA of 3.0, and we ended up with a perfect 1,000 APR score, and we received national recognition um, as uh, for community service. So we accomplished what we needed to accomplish in year one. Although when we had nine wins, we were walked off six times, and 15 of our 33 losses were two runs or less. So our oh. kids were in a position that you could ask anybody that played us that, that year for seven innings, we were going to compete with anybody in the country. I don't care who we went to Mississippi state that year. And in the seventh inning, it's zero zero in the bottom of the seventh. And they end up putting up a five spot. So we were in a position where we were being competitive, but we were just missing the boat. And it was because again, at in year one, we were anticipating loss instead of taking the win. The win was right there for us. But we're waiting for that other shoe to drop. We're waiting for something bad to happen. And ultimately, we created our own demise because mentally we put ourselves in a position where, okay, we're winning, but this can't happen because we've never done this before. Something's going to go wrong. And ultimately, it, it did. Um, and what was funny was at the end of the year, we had a bunch of our guys would come to me and some of our leaders and they were like, hey, you know, we only won nine games this year. You've been places you had success. You've done this, that and the other. You, you didn't raise your voice. You didn't. Why not? Like, how did that not bother you? I said, because I told you guys at the beginning, we weren't in a position to be able to win. So it wasn't going to do me any good to be all stressed out and have my blood pressure high to ask you to do things that you weren't capable of doing. Um, and so then when you flip it to the next year, we added some pieces. Um, we needed more pitching um, and we added a couple other pieces. But basically that same team that was nine and thirty three went thirty four and twenty four that next year. And they started to play the game the right way. And so, like I told you before, 15 of our losses in 18 were, 
you know, two runs or less. Well, in 19, we were 26 and four when we had the lead after the sixth. So just the, the shift and, and understanding the importance of playing good defense and playing quality baseball. You know, we, we go out, we beat LSU when they're ranked eighth that year. And all I told them was earn respect and have fun today. That's all you got to do. And when we talk about earning respect, it's going out and playing the game the right way. And I told him, I said, win, lose, or draw, the best compliment that I can get as a coach about our program is genuinely when the other coach walks past you, whether they beat you or not, and they say to you, man, I really like how you guys play the game. And that year, every post-game meeting with every coach, that was the comment. Man, you guys play the game well. Man, these guys are on the, on the right track. So I love hearing that. And, and, you know, as, as a, as a coach myself, I think that's the, that's the ultimate compliment uh, that, that you can get it. And you mentioned that as well, but I, I, I do want to break down a couple of things that, that I want to really highlight that you said, uh, because I think the first thing that you mentioned was, Hey, you're my guys, like you're, you're our guys. We are in this together. I, I may not have recruited you. You may not have chosen me, but here we are. Right. And, 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 you know, I'm adopting you in, into, into being, you know, one, one of our guys as well. And so I love hearing that. So that's, that's ultimately breaking down that, that first barrier that these, you know, you're walking into the first meeting and they, they may know you, you may have had a conversation or not, but that is a thought about thing. And I think, you know, we as coaches, sometimes we miss that boat because we chose the job. We're really excited to get going. And, you know, uh, having that as like your first meeting thing or, or whatever, you know, however you presented that, I think that that's huge. And I'm sure that that let down their guard. They felt a little bit more comfortable. And then you were able to outline the standards of performance that you thought were going to make you successful. And then you just had to rep it every day. But I, I think that that's that's an awesome formula for success and something that, that I will uh, remember for a long time. But I also want to want to not uh, neglect the fact that you know, when, whenever you guys are, are doing that, you're staying consistent and it's, you know, you, like you said, you guys lost so many close games and uh, at some point it's like, man, it's, 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 we have to rep this every single day. We have to keep this consistent and we have to just keep building on what we've got and finding those small wins. And that's a lot easier said uh, than done because speaking from experience, that's not easy to, to go through those things and continue to be positive, continue to build a vision, continue to doing exactly what you're doing because you think it's going to work eventually, maybe not today, but that's just something that that's really not easy to do at all. No, you're, you're right. And, and I think that, like you said, I, I do think that oftentimes as coaches, when you, when you do get that new head job and, and, and I think I would have done it regardless of what my contract looked like. Um, but um, you get a six year contract. And so you've had the conversation with the AD and, and you're specifically if you're hired in a situation where the old coach was fired or let go for whatever reasons. Well, then you come in with this idea of, hey, you know what, I got a six year contract. So this year one, I'm just getting ready for year two. I think the mistake that is made when that happens is regardless of what your plans are for years two, three, four, five, and six, if you want to, if you want to start talking about building culture, it has to start with year one. So regardless of whether these guys fit your system or whatever the case may be, if you create an environment where they know that they're on their way out, that is going to be an awful year. It, it, from a wins loss standpoint, from a culture standpoint, from a trust standpoint, it, it, it's just awful. So for me, it was important that being able to come in there and letting those guys know I'm not coming in here with the idea of you have to be replaced. I'm coming in here with the idea that you guys are here. How can we get you better? And then whatever conversations we have to have at the end of the year, we have to have at the end of the year. Did that team that I had fit the system that I wanted to run uh, somewhat, right? We wanted to, we, we were, I'm a firm believer in putting the pressure of the base paths on the defense. We're going to run. We had a green light. I didn't have a steal sign. I had a stop sign. Everybody had the green light from the guy that was a six, three guy to the guy that was a seven, five guy, everybody. And I want you running and I want the other team to know that we're running constantly. Um, and so we you take the pieces that you have and you fit those pieces in. Uh, but like I said, I think too many times 
we come into a, a situation and we automatically say, none of these guys are any good. We're going to get rid of all these guys. So coaches, I want you out on the road recruiting. Don't worry about this team. We just got to get through this first year. Well, then now you, you spend a year that could be used to establish culture that is wasted because you've already turned the page on those kids. So then when you bring the new kids in, well, a lot of times we're doing it with junior college kids. A lot of times we're doing it with kids that we're going out and buy. And so then now you make that, you make that environment a very transactional environment. And sometimes that can work. Most of the time, I don't know if it does. It has to be a transformational environment. And it has to be that, in my opinion, from day one, regardless of what your plans are going to be. So being able to, like you said, you guys are my guys. We're going to do this and you're going to be the foundation of it. And those guys truly were the foundation of our success. And I love that. And it speaks to them too, to transition from, you know, they were recruited by somebody else. They were used to a certain system and standard and it speaks to you and them both for, uh, just getting into buying in and, and being patient with that too, because you could have had some guys that left and some guys may have, but it sounds like the large core of who you had stuck around. And that's really, that's, that's an even cooler layer to add to that story because you had almost the same team in 2018 as you did in 2019. Mm -hmm. So I love hearing that. Definitely. So one of the, one of the other things that I think is, is really, really neat. Uh, and that's, you know, building alignment throughout the coaching staff and I, I don't know uh, how you assembled your coaching staff. It may have been all guys that you knew, some guys that you didn't. But I would love to hear your thoughts on uh, just coaching staff alignment and best practices. How did you guys do that? And, and uh, let's let's work through that a little bit. For sure. Um, so in that first year, um, there was there was an assistant coach who was there, who played in the program, who was there previously. Um, the AD wanted me to keep him on staff for at least one year. So we did that. Um, and then I added, like you said, I added some pieces to some kids. Um, I shouldn't say kids, but some coaches that I had been mentoring and had relationships with that were young, um, that that I knew they were knowledgeable and passionate uh, about the teaching aspect of things um, and brought them on board. Um, and, and so I, I, I do believe that when you're looking at building coaching staffs, um, the idea is um, loyalty and trust. Um, are there uh, need to be paramount. Uh, you know, in our situation, I explain to guys, listen, I don't expect you to be at Southern forever. Um, I, as an assistant coach, um, we only pay X, Y, Z. There's opportunity for greater vis visibility. But what I do know is that because of the success that we're going to have, it's going to give you an opportunity to do different things. And as we continue to be successful as a program, then the idea of you having opportunities but more importantly, us being able to increase what it is and I'm paying you. So I make it tougher for you to leave. Um, I knew that at Southern, it was going to be a transformational uh, or, or transactional type situation with coaches, because ultimately we were going to be successful based on the success we had. I believe that uh, those coaches were going to get opportunities. And I knew that and was aware of that. And so being able to get those people that, again, they're loyal, they're trustworthy, and then obviously also knowledgeable about what it is they're doing, I think is, is the key. Um, and, and even when you bring it, bring it forward to the position that I'm holding today, when I was hiring coaches, you know, when you look at some of our coaches that are on our staffs in this league, they want to get back to being affiliated coaches. And, and I stress that to them. I get it. I understand, but your opportunities will be created by how well you do in this situation, not because you're looking to get to the next place. Um, so it goes back to the original question and uh, about being where your feet are at. I, that's something I firmly believe in. And, and so for me, hiring coaches in this role, hiring coaches as a head coach, uh, assistant coaches was all about that. Hey, come in here, make this the best place that it could possibly be. And then as a result, your opportunities to move on, if you so desire, will present themselves. I love hearing that. And, uh, you know, another another thing with hiring coaches, too. Uh, so you've got this vision of, of how you how you'd like to play. And again, you as the head coach, main decision maker. Do you hire guys based on their fit within that or uh, like how good they are? Because, you know, I'm thinking you've got and you mentioned base running. But if you you're a pitching guy as well, if you've got a guy who is really good, who has had success, but may not mesh with your pitching philosophies and you got you know you've got some overlap but you know 
different ends of the spectrum, I guess. Uh, you know, what's that process like? Because again, I, I've never been a head coach and I'd love to hear your thoughts on hiring for fit uh, versus hiring the, maybe the best candidate who's had the most success. Uh, and I'm sure a, a lot of that comes down to re, uh, like uh, just your relationship with them. And, and if you guys are able to, to work together every day, because that, that may be the number one thing, but I'd uh, love to hear you work through that. For sure. So I, I think that um, for me, it is you want to be able to attract the people that are the best at what they do. Right. Um, and continuing on that theme of being the consummate learner, um, as like you said, me having a pitching background um, for me, it's still comes down to the, the bare bones of it. Throw strikes, work fast, compete. If, if those things aren't in your pitching philosophy, then we don't have anything to talk about. Like I appreciate guys that are tribal driveline guys and, and those type of things. Um, and that, that people that want to try all kinds of different things. Um, I, I don't want you to be a, a mad scientist, always trying to come up with the new best thing. Um, at the end of the day, do is what you do. Does it lead us to being able to throw strikes, work fast and compete? If it does, I'm great. If it doesn't, we have a problem. Um, and so it, it's, I, I think, being able to make sure that here's what I want from you. Can you fit into this? And if it's different than the way that I've done things, so be it. Um, but at the end of the day, here's the ultimate goal. And, and at Southern, the ultimate goal was to be the first HBCU to get to Omaha. So as a pitching guy, how can you put us in a position that we can go out when it comes to a regional and we're able to do just that, that we're able to go into Mississippi State and win a regional there in that environment to put us in a position to get to a super and continue that march to Omaha. Um, and and at our level, uh, being at Southern, you, you have to work a little bit harder. We, we didn't get guys that were, um, you know, coming out of it and they're 90, 92. And nope, there were some guys at 88 to 90, but it's long, lanky, projectable frame, really athletic, and their body's flying all over the place. Can you coordinate that? Can you put a pitching plan together that is simple and developmental to lead these guys um, to where they need to be? Because that was one of the things there is we didn't have a bunch of guys that had done a bunch of pitching lessons or been with a bunch of swing coaches or any of those types of things. We had kids that just went out and played. So to have all the, the technology that is necessary to help kids be successful today is great, but you have to baby step it with those kids. And so being able to put them in a position where we continue to develop them, that by the time they were juniors, hey, they're ready to go. They understand these concepts. Uh, I think that's what it is. And being, like you said, base running, hitting, whatever it is, here are the things that I want to take place. Tell me how your philosophy fits into that. And if your philosophy doesn't fit into that and ultimately lead to that, then we don't have a good match. Sure. So I, I wanted to empower. I didn't want to micromanage. I wanted to empower coaches to go out and do their do what they do. Um, but understanding there's accountability for that because ultimately I'm accountable. Uh, my mm -hmm. first two years there, we didn't have a recruiting coordinator because what I told the guys that I had in place was, hey, listen, I don't want to put you in a position where if it doesn't go well recruiting – that this at a young point in your career, you have to wear that. Let me wear that. You go out and recruit. You will have these conversations, but we're not going to put a title on anybody because mm -hmm. if it's not good, as much as you think that can help you because you have the title, it can hurt you if we're not good. I can, I can take that where I'm at in my career. You can't. Mm -hmm. um, and so little things like that, just being able to help guys along the way and through that process to, to ultimately develop and be the coaches they wanted to be. No, I love that. And I, I love the, the intentional intentionality behind that. And so one of the, one of the last things that, that I want to uh, hit before we, before we get to the lightning section and, and let you get back to the vacation uh, one, I appreciate you uh, joining us today with while you're on vacation. Uh, but I, I know you like to talk shop. So for sure, whenever, whenever you are recruiting players, uh, they could be from all different parts of the country, from all different backgrounds, from all different uh, levels, socioeconomic, socioeconomic status, you know, different school, whatever you've got all of the above. And so I want to know, how do you, how do you take though, like 
different players, different parts of all of those different things. And then you've also got different aspirations. You've got some guys who want to play in pro ball, some guys who just wanted to get a degree, some guys who just, you know, love the game of baseball and, and this or that. Uh, but how do you do that and build a team? Because I think that that's, that's something that, you know, it may be, may be neglected with the self-promotion and all of these different things. And so I, I would love to hear your thoughts on how do we take all of that, which we want to incorporate, but also how do we do that and then make sure that, that, the, team, that, ever, that the team is above everybody's uh, everything else? You know, I, I obviously, like you said, when you look at today's society, um, that's tough. <laughs> that, that, that is a, that's a tough mountain to climb. And, and specifically now, now that you factor in uh, NIL, that, that makes it even tougher uh, because now we're just putting more emphasis on you as the individual. Um, but one of the things that, that I challenged guys with was we want guys that want to be great and not guys that just want to be good. Um, and when we first talked about it, um, it was the idea of them understanding the difference. And, and when we brought it up, it was, hey, coach, I, I get it, but what, what's the difference between being good and being great? And I said, those who want to be great have an internal motivation that supersedes their need for external approval. And so you have it in here to be the best that you can be. And in this environment, um, then if you have that philosophy and that mindset in this environment, then not only are you trying to be the best that you can be, but by by you being the best that you can be, you're driving your teammate and holding your teammate accountable for the same thing with all with the understanding that if we achieve great things as a team, the individual successes will come as a result. But you can have individual success without team success, and nobody wants to be in that type of situation. You can be – a classic example for us is one of the guys that had been in the program. Um, Javion Williams was his name. He ended up being a 21st-rounder in that 2019 year uh, to the Giants. Uh, Left-handed hitting outfielder, very, very athletic, plus runner, plus defender with bad routes, had some arm strength, um, had a little power in there, and – he wanted to play pro ball, but he understood that the more success we had as a team, the better off he was going to be. Well, we get to that regional at Mississippi State. I think he's six for six against Mississippi State and, and Miami and threw somebody out at the plate and stole three or four bases. And as a result, he gets it, that opportunity. So we really, really stress the idea of be great. We had it on the mirrors in the bathroom. We had it on our T-shirts everywhere. Be great. Uh, and, and they understood what it meant to be great. And so I think being able to get kids to understand and buy into the idea of, like you said, the team concept is vital. And in this sport, does it break down to the idea of you have to do your job? Most definitely, because when ground balls hit to you at third base, it's you and the ball. Nobody else is involved in that. But you making the play and getting the out helps us get to those 27 outs faster, which helps us put ourselves in a position to be more successful as a team, which, again, all those things roll into each other. So that's what we really try to stress is look to be great, understand what it means to be great. And if you can hold on to that, you'll put yourself in a position where we tamp down the individualized aspect of things and really promote the team concept. Sure. No, I love that. And, you know, I've, I've taken some time this summer to read more about motivation and I, I think, you know, with human nature, it's at our core, we want to be our be the best version of ourselves with something that is larger than ourselves. And I think that that's something that, as you know, like you mentioned, as long as be great as just don't put yourself above the team. And I, I think yep. that that's a, a great way to put it. I do have a couple of, of quick uh, questions for you. Uh, you mentioned that you were a learner. And so I'd love to hear something that you've dug into lately that's piqued your interest, something that's really that's gotten you really excited. You know, I've uh, through COVID, um, obviously, we all had time, uh, you know, uh, on our hands, so to speak, uh, with uh, relatively speaking. Um, and, and so I got 
more into reading than I'd been in the past. I'd never been a big reader um, and was in a couple different coaching groups and started getting into a bunch of reading. So w- one of the books that I read um, was Trevor Mawad's It Takes What It Takes. Um, that book was, for me, was very, very eye-opening. Um, just talking about being in the moment, talking about how powerful the mind is. Um, you know, the idea of, you know, I think that, uh, as coaches, um, we talk to guys all the time about not being negative. And, you know, one of the things that Trevor talks about in the book is that's unrealistic. Like you're, you're going to have negative thoughts. Just don't let it come out of your mouth. Um, just don't say negative things. Um, sure. and the idea of, you know, I don't need you to be positive all the time, but stay neutral, you know, understand that it is what it is and, and we can move forward. Um, so that, that was, that book was really good um, for me to get into. Um, you know, also uh, got into, uh, there's a book, it's called uh, Lead for God's Sake. Um, and it's a leadership book. Um, and and basically, um, it's one of those where it talks about the different methods of leadership and they boil it down to the hatchet or the pot of gold, basically. So do you rule with a heavy hammer and do you rule with consequences and penalties or do you rule and have rewards uh, for people's behavior? And I think there's, I think there's for me, um, how I grew up, uh, I grew up with rule with a heavy fist. Um, You know, my grandparents, it was, everything was very black and white. There was no gray area. If you did something wrong, there was always a consequence. If you did something right, you're just supposed to do right. There wasn't always a reward. Um, And so I learned to, kind of combine the two of, Hey, you know what? Let me not penalize you for doing the wrong thing, but incentivize you to do the right thing. Um, and then if there has to be consequences, well, yeah, you know what? You were late to practice, go home today. You're late to practice again. Okay. Now I got to extend that a little bit more. Hey, you did this, those types of things. So those are probably the two that, uh, were pretty good for me. Oh, really good. Uh, I was excited. Trevor's actually coming out with with another book in January. Just I saw that neutral mindset. So that'll be that'll be really good. Two biggest takeaways for me from it takes what it takes. Uh, stop watching the news and stop listening to country music. And if, <laughs> if you if you know, then you know. So I definitely yes. recommend and guys to to go check that out, guys and gals. Uh, what is something that you've changed your mind about? So you again, you've been in, in lots of different roles in baseball and so i'd love to hear your thoughts on we we go through these different journeys and we get more information and we change our mind about certain things is there anything that comes to mind whenever i ask you that um you know i I think kind of just going back to what i just said just just kind of how you handle certain things with regards to um discipline um and um you know really really putting trying to empower players and people in general to uh, make their own decisions, um, understand that there's consequences for their actions and their decisions, uh, and really be able to talk with them about it. Um, it. It hasn't, unfortunately, it hasn't trickled down to how I deal with my boys just yet, but um, I'm still very, um, you know, for them, uh, it's it's funny. My wife gets on me all the time because she says I'm so hard on them, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's one of those things. It's like, listen, if I'm not hard on them, real life will be. Um, and, and specifically in today's age, being two young black males, um, you need to have a greater fear of the consequences that are going to happen at your house than anywhere else, because that's an uncontrollable environment out there. This is a controllable environment. So I need to make sure that you're constantly aware of those types of things. But like I said, besides my kids, when dealing with players or coaches or whatever, it's, Hey man, here's your set of choices and options. Please make sure you choose wisely and understand that whatever decisions you make and however you go about it, there's consequences for those. Let's work through that. But hey, at the end of the day, that's what they are. So I want to riff on that a little bit, just because I think that that's something that that I'm I'm passionate about as well. Uh, just as far as how do we, you know, w- when we talk about discipline, uh, you know, you could be be disciplined or, you know, someone can discipline you. And, and you, you know, I think we've all heard that term, but I, I, I worked for a coach a couple of years ago who I really liked who would say, if we can't get it through your head, we'll get it through your legs, which, you know, means running. <laughs> and that worked for 
you know, 80, 90% of players, but we would always have the same 10% that would just go do it and nothing would ever change. And so I, yep. I've, I've really, it, man, it's human nature is so tough and what works for most of the group won't work for some of the group. And so I really started to try and figure out, okay, what, what's actually going to get to the heart of this player? Like, what can we take away? And you mentioned practice was, was one, or what can we do that sucks that's going to make them change their behavior? Yes. And it, it, it's like, it, it's not easy. And so going through this journey, again, I, I'm not a head coach. And so I haven't had experience like putting in a system, but you hear you want to be consistent, but also not, it's not going to work for everyone. So how do you, I guess, how do you balance that? And then what are some different ways that, that you let them know that they had some consequences for their actions, but they were also specific to them? Does that make sense? No, for sure. I, I think that, um, I, I think that, like you said, I, I think it's through the process of education. Um, I think it's, it's, you know, specifically when we talk about coaching, I think it's the idea of, as much as you want to play professional baseball, the reality of it is, is the majority of you won't, but you will have an opportunity to go out and be fathers, husbands, um, productive members of society. So what does that look like? What does that plan look like? Let's, let's get away from the idea of, Oh, I'm only a freshman, so I'm still learning or, Oh, I'm this. And, you know, so I'm a young adult, so I still have an opportunity to make mistakes. I think too many times we create that environment where we allow, we, we give them an, an opportunity to be victims of their own circumstance and then okay that. Um, and so I think if you can, can be able to get the kids to understand, like you said, you know, what are the things that are important to you? What are the goals that you're looking at accomplishing? Make sure you understand that at points in your career, in your life, you're going to come to that crossroads or that why in the road and you have to choose left or right. And you weigh all those decisions out um, of what the potential outcome could be. If I go to the left, what is the worst case scenario? And And that's one of the things I always like to tell kids when they're going through a decision process of whatever it is you're doing. If I make this decision, what's the worst case scenario? If I make this decision, what's the worst case scenario? And then being able to have that information of basing for me, we know what best case scenario is going to be because we have these two decisions in front of us. But we don't often look at what the worst case scenario can be in deciding, hey, you know what? I don't like this outcome. This outcome, worst case scenario, I can deal with this. But this other one, I don't know if I can come back and recover from that. And as much as it is, it's easy for us to talk through that process when you're out at the bar, when you're going to the party, it doesn't happen that quick, right? You, you, you don't, but if we can kind of condition their minds to understand if I do this, there's a consequence for this that I can't recover from. Let me step, step away. Or we put you in a position where we used to talk to our team about everybody should always be together. So if you're not going to hold yourself accountable, there's got to be somebody else that's in your group that's doing the same things that you're doing to hold you accountable. When you, as you well know it as a coach, when you have those kids that they don't hang out with the team and they have outliers, we better hope that those outliers are good influencers. Because if they're not good influencers, we're going to lose that kid because they're not in that team concept. So I think being able to just kind of walk these kids through that and constantly put that on their minds on a daily basis and then being able to relate it to the things that they do want to do well in, uh, I think that can help them better conceptualize the idea of making the right decisions and doing things that are in their best interest, which ultimately will lead to doing things that are in the team's best interest. Last question before we go, would young coach Carrick Jackson have handled all of those things the same way as, as you would today? Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) Hell no. Like, Like I said, it was, um, the younger me was disciplinary oriented. It was immediate consequences. It was going, I'm going to run the mess out of you. It's, you know, boom. And the, the older me still has that, but it, but there's a level of patience now that comes with it. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's, Hey, we're going to talk about this. We're going to work through this, 
Okay, that's not working. Okay, what about this? Okay, that's not working. Okay, now we have to go to this. Um, and and one of the things that um, there was a, a gentleman down there uh, in Louisiana that when I got Southern, uh, we became really good friends, uh, you know, just somebody that I could conversate with. Um, and one of the things he told me that he heard from somebody, um, and it's, it's something that I, that I really stick to now is at the end of the day, when you come into a situation and the situation hasn't been successful, you're going to change people or you're going to change people. Uh, so, so basically we're going to change the way that you go about what it is that you do, or we're going to go get different people. So one way or another, one way or another, we're going to change people. Uh, and, and so that is a message that, that I still like to deliver to this day. And again, it's not a threatening deal. It's mm-hmm. again, we're painting both sides of that picture for you. Listen, we're going to change your thought processes and mindset to get you to do the right thing. Or I'm going to have to go get somebody else. The choice ultimately is up to you. I'm not making that decision for you. I'm giving you the two options and hoping that you choose the one that is best. If you don't, then now you put me in a position where I make that choice for you. Going back to Trevor Mawad, right? The illusion of choice. Mm-hmm. We, that is just what it is. There, we, our choices are finite when it comes to when you choose. If you choose to be a college athlete and you say, I want to play college athletics and I want to be a professional, specifically baseball, you don't have infinite choices. Your choices become finite at this point. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of the same deal. When you're in this environment, these are the two choices you have. Change your behavior or change your your location. Um, sure. And so I think when you put that out there, it makes it pretty easy for these guys. No doubt. Well, Carrick, I, man, I, I loved our conversation today and, and you're, you're helping me grow. So I appreciate that. And so I, I, uh, we'll link your contact below in case anyone wants to get in touch with you, but I'm going to give you a couple minutes just to, to end the show and, and uh, say anything that you'd like, but is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? No, I, like I said, I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, and this is a great opportunity of listening to a, a couple of the things that you guys have done. And then, like I said, I think through COVID, everybody was, was zoomed and podcast, um, you know, just on that, on that and you guys did some really good things with uh being able to have different people on and get different messages across and so i'm, I'm honored uh that you'd want to have me on as well and and again uh anytime uh that i can be of service to you guys or any of your listeners uh subscribers that you have out there feel free to contact me and and let me know because at the end of the day uh, i want to grow this game and grow people in this game the best way we can